Let's open the scriptures this afternoon to the New Testament, the letter of Jude. Short letter, we'll read that whole letter, page 1308 in the Pew Bible, 1308. Pretty well the uh, end of the Bible, second last book of the Bible. And then we will go to the last book, Revelation, and read chapter 12. We're going to be focusing in the preaching on the creation of all creatures, and Jude writes about the creation of angels and what happened to certain angels. The Word of God reads, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted." Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. 
But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now we turn to Revelation 12. Just a few pages over. And here again we read about angels and Satan. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, 
on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. I invite you to turn with me in the book of praise to page 503. In the Belgian Confession, Article 12, there we have the word of God concerning the creation of all things, especially the angels, as the title reads. That uh, teaching of God's word is summarized here by the church in Article 12. We confess the following. We believe that the Father, through the Word, that is, through His Son, has created out of nothing heaven and earth and all creatures when it seemed good to Him, and that He has given to every creature its being, shape, and form, and to each its specific task and function to serve its Creator. We believe that he also continues to sustain and govern them according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power in order to serve man to the end that man may serve his God. He also created the angels good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. Some of these have fallen from the exalted position in which God created them into everlasting perdition. But the others have, by the grace of God, remained steadfast and continued in their first state. The devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and of all that is good. With all their might, they lie in wait like murderers to ruin the church and all its members and to destroy everything by their wicked devices. They are therefore by their own wickedness sentenced to eternal damnation and daily expect their horrible torments. Therefore we detest and reject the error of the Sadducees who deny that there are any spirits and angels and also the error of the Manichees who say that the devils were not created but have their origin of themselves and that without having become corrupted they are wicked by their own nature." So far, our confession. In response to the gospel, we will sing Psalm 103 about those angelic hosts who praise our God day and night. Psalm 103, stanzas 8 and 9. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, with Article 12, we begin a new section in our Confession of Faith. As you know, we've been quite busy these last months with articles pertaining to God, who God is, and how we may get to know God. We also have been focusing on how we come to know God's salvation. Now we move on more particularly to the works of God, what he has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. And the very first work of God that the church confesses here 
is the same first work that the Bible itself presents, the work of creation. Article 12 kind of connects back to Article 1, which also, you might recall, took its starting point in Genesis 1, which opens up, in the beginning, God. That's the opening statement of the Bible. And now in Article 12, we move to the second part of that opening sentence, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, our focus in this article and this afternoon is on God's work of creating all things, and particularly the creatures are mentioned. A mankind, of course, is one of God's creatures, and we'll focus more on man in Article 14. But today the focus is on the other creatures, and then the question is, what do all the rest of God's many creatures have to do with us and our salvation? And so I proclaim to you this word of the Lord, all God's creatures serve man so that man may serve his God. All God's creatures serve man in order that man may serve his God. We'll take a look at two things, the creation of all creatures and then the fall of some creatures. Article 12 begins with this statement, we believe that the Father through the Word, that is through His Son, created out of nothing heaven and earth. Now we could add here that the Holy Spirit was involved. We know that from Genesis 1. He was hovering over the waters the takeaway point, the main point, is that the triune God alone is responsible for creating heaven and earth and all things therein. It's God who did it all, and he did it all by himself. Now, maybe to us that seems like a no-brainer. But we need to be aware that many other religions in the world describe not one creator, but two creators. A number of ancient religious accounts or histories, stories, they, they have the story of a, two gods, usually a male god and a female god, one good, the other evil, and quite a few of them. At some point, these two deities, they had a fight, and the one overcame the other, and, and out of that fight, somehow or another, the world as we know it came into existence. The end result is that people who have those religious backgrounds, they walk away with the idea that good and evil are eternal entities. They, they belong to these eternal, or at least these ancient deities. Neither one of them was created. Both have been always around, and in some way they continue to battle it out in the universe. Good versus evil, they're kind of two equal forces fighting it out. Now, we know from Scripture that's just not true. We know there's only one Creator. But don't we, even as Christians, sometimes get caught up thinking of evil as a force that's almost equal in power to God's power, to God's goodness? Don't we sometimes get caught up thinking that Satan is virtually as powerful as God? Let me ask you this. If something terrible happened in your life or in the life, life of someone you love, something really destructive, something awful, 
would you say this was sent into your life by God or by the devil? Would you blame Satan for the great wickedness you're experiencing? Or would you see the hand of God in this, even though it's evil and hard? Well, brothers and sisters, the simple teaching of the Bible is that there is one God who of himself not in competition with another God, but of himself, created all things. There's no second God. And what is more, there is no, or rather evil is not an eternal thing. And isn't that a relief? We confess that at the end of Article 12, that this was the error of a group called the Manichees. They were in, around in the early part of the church. They used to teach that the devils were not created the devils have the origin, that's evil spirits, have an origin in themselves, but that having become corrupted, or that without having become corrupted, they are wicked by their very own nature. So the Manichees thought that evil has been around all the time. But Scripture tells us different. Whatever Satan and his demons are, and we'll get to that in a moment, they are not co-creators alongside of God, they're also not co-eternal. The devil and the demons have not been around forever and ever. So it cannot be that we have this thing called evil running around in the universe as some kind of an independent free agent that is opposed to God, that is somehow on the same footing as God. Because as the Bible tells it, there's only one creator, which means that all else are creations. They're all creatures under the creator's control. We also know from Genesis 1 that God created all things good. He declared at the end of Genesis 1, behold, this is very good. And that's why we know that evil cannot exist forever. Somehow evil crept in, and we'll look at that in, at Article 14, crept into God's good creation, and we know that God in Christ is working to get the evil out of creation, but it won't be around forever. Evil is under God's control, and it certainly is not on an equal level or footing with the Almighty. For now, let's see that the Creator is entirely distinct from what He has created. He's, the Creator's here, His creation is other. It's below Him. That's something also we have to keep in mind, and it comes out in that expression when where we confess that He has created out of nothing heaven and earth and all creatures. So we have to try to imagine this. Before creation, there was only God. There was no universe. There were no creatures. There, were, there was no pre-existing matter, like stuff. There was no other deity, no other being. There was nothing, just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then at a, at a certain point, when it seemed good to God, he began to do his work of creating, doing so simply by the means of his own power, by his own 
will and command. Genesis 1 repeats over and again that God simply spoke and things sprung into existence. Psalm 33 tells us the same. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So creation, the, the universe, all that exists, is not God. God is above it and beyond it. God is not creation. Creation is not God. God brought creation into existence as an entity outside of himself. So that it means a couple things. It means, in the first place, that as vast and as beautiful and as wondrous as this creation is, with all of its grandeur, so much more beautiful and wondrous is the Creator. He made all, all the things that we find impressive on the earth, He made them, which means the Creator must be more impressive yet. And this biblical truth goes against so many Eastern religions, ideas which have arisen also in the Western world. We call it in the Western world New Age philosophy. And the idea is that God is in creation itself. That's why I make the point that the Bible says God and creation are separate. The current idea, New Age philosophy, says that God is in creation. That's actually a, a recycling of an old idea called pantheism. It's what feeds the notion in the environmental movement, the extreme edges of the environmental movement, that the earth itself is sacred. That's why they call it Mother Earth. You heard that expression? Mother Earth, that's, that's their God. God is in the earth. That's also why you have people chaining themselves to trees to stop logging in forests. That's why you have people suggesting things, and I found this in a newspaper not that long ago, that things like animals like whales and dolphins and elephants should be granted the status of persons so they, they can be protected under law as under the law of personhood. To them, these creatures are holy. These creatures are sacred and divine. They must be honored and protected. It's, it's holy life in those animal forms, they say. So you begin to see, brothers and sisters, what you believe. Your religion has an impact on your ethics, and the world is turned upside down as, as far as the Scripture is concerned. We've got a crazy thing going on where people want to give human rights to sea creatures and land animals, but refuse to stop killing the human babies in their own mother's wombs. They believe that, there is, that, there, that God is in the trees and in the rocks and in every dolphin and chimp, but God is somehow not in that child in the belly of its own mother's womb. You see the darkness that prevails outside of Christianity. But here inside of Christ's kingdom, we know different, right? God is distinct from his creation. He's, he's above all creation. He's not within it. And that means he can affect change. He's not stuck within the substance of the universe. He controls and he monitors and he actively governs every atom of this universe. We do not have a small God who is somehow bound to matter. 
We have an infinite God who invented matter and looks after all the stuff of the universe for its good and his glory. He's above it. And this truth, this confession, also strikes at the heart of the theory of evolution. You probably know that the pressure is on in our day for Christians to accept the theory of evolution. The idea that things just evolved from lower life forms, that there was a big bang at some point and the universe expanded into what it is now. There are even serious-minded Christians who have bought into the idea that matter has always existed, has been pre-existing. That somehow life came from non-life. That there, before Adam and Eve were created or, or were made, there was a human race before them, what they call pre-Adamites. And of the development or evolution of animal life, eventually came more and more higher levels or species eventually than human beings from those lower forms. Some Christians are saying God used evolution to create. But brothers and sisters, it's simply not true. The Bible says as plain as you can have it in Genesis 1, in Exodus 20, in Psalm 33, and it's repeated elsewhere, that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, Hebrews 11, 2. He created them by the power of His Word. He spoke. And He did it over a span of six days, six regular length days, each with a morning and an evening, says Genesis 1. It couldn't get more clear. And why should we doubt that? Should we doubt Genesis 1 because of a theory of sinful men? That's all it is, is a theory. They can't even prove it. Where were these men and women when the world sprang into existence? Did they witness God's wonders? Were they on hand to record it and see it come about? Mankind sets aside the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and mankind makes guesses about the origins of the world because man is not interested in God. But let us as God's people take God at His word, face value in full. God was there, and He tells us what went down. He was there, and, and the angels were the only ones watching, and God made sure to have Moses write down this description for us that in a six-day period, all these miracles of creation came about. Let's hang on to that for our belief and for our salvation. If we deny that God created out of nothing all that exists because it doesn't agree with some scientific theory that humans have come up with, well, on what basis can we hold on to the faith, to faith in any of God's works? How can we believe in any of Christ's miracles if we, we can't believe that God created everything out of nothing, as Genesis 1 says? Why would you believe the virgin birth? Why would you believe the resurrection from the dead? Those things are scientifically impossible. You throw out Genesis 1, you'll, you're on your way to throwing out the resurrection. But you keep Genesis 1, and you keep the resurrection, and you keep it all. And you've got a rock-solid faith and a rock-solid God. 
God has created all that exists. He's done so out of nothing. This article wants to, to go on and narrow the focus. It speaks here of creating, that God created all creatures. It does so in the following clause, and that God has given to every creature its being, its shape and form, and to each its specific task and function to serve its creator. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if we think about that, do you know that every creature has a task and a function? When we observe animals, we're often amazed at their attributes and their various patterns of behavior. The way the ants, for example, are so organized and industrious. The way beavers work relentlessly and build their dams and their homes. The way fish tend to swim in schools. Or the way the Canada geese fly in a veep formation. These are not haphazard things or developments. These are not luck of the draw conditions or patterns. But God created each one to serve him in this way. All these animals and other creatures, they are scurrying back and forth. They're doing their thing under God's command, and they're doing it for His glory. And then comes a part of the confession we may be less familiar with here in Article 12. We believe that He also continues to sustain and govern the creatures according to His eternal providence by His infinite power, here it comes, in order to serve man. You see that? To the end that man may serve his God. I wonder if the Guido students recognize that phrase, to the end that man may serve his God. It's a phrase carved in a plaque of wood that hangs in the hallway at Guido de Bray Christian High School. And in the context of our high school, it hangs there to remind all teachers and staff and students and parents that the education at Guido has but one focus, that the students may be equipped to go out and serve their God, to the end that mankind may serve their God. That's what we're doing at Guido. Well, in Article 12, the context is a little broader, God made and upholds all creatures in order to serve mankind so that man may go out and serve his God. Focuses on the creatures first, then on man. The creatures render service to their creator specifically by being of service to man, the only creature made in the image of God. Now we're going to hopefully get to that more intensely when we come to Article 14, man's role in serving God, but we need to see that man has a special place in God's creation. Man is created in his image, it's very honorable, it's the highest station in creation, and creatures are given to man to assist us in serving God. That's also the special focus of those special creatures whom we cannot see, the creatures called angels. You might have noticed that Article 12 goes on to have a lengthy paragraph about angels. And most of that speaks to the fallen angels. It starts off, that's the second paragraph. He also created the angels good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. There it is again, to serve his people, his elect. 
So the angels are created beings, and their special task is on the earth is to be of service to, to Christians. And I wonder if we, we have that in our minds, that angels are on the earth to serve us, to benefit us. Angels always seem to fascinate us, don't they? Probably because we don't know much about them, can't see them. Things that we can't see, we are curious about. Most of us, I, I guess, haven't seen an angel, not that we know of. And yet, they do exist, just like oxygen exists. Can't see it, but it exists. God exists, can't see him, but he's there. And we should not forget about the angels. Least of all, because God has charged them with helping us. I think of Hebrews 1, verse 14. He has sent them forth as ministering spirits for his people. They are here to help us in serving the Lord, and we need all the help we can get, don't we? We know from the Bible, what we know from the Bible is that angels were one of the very first creatures God made. In Job 38, we read that angels were present when God laid the earth's foundations. They were there to rejoice, says Job 38. So angels, you know, there's been a lot of misconceptions over the centuries. Angels are not dead believers, sometimes People have had that idea that when people die, they become angels. No, not true. They're not dead believers who have gone to heaven. These are a distinct class of beings all by themselves. They're different than humans. They're higher than all animals. They are intelligent beings who can see God's face. They are in God's presence. They worship Him constantly. Tens of thousands of angels surround God's throne day and night, praising Him for His greatness. We also know from the scriptures that angels don't marry. They don't get given in marriage. They don't become married. They're not romantically involved with each other. They do not live in families like humans do. They're, they don't have moms and dads and brothers and sisters. No, they're, they're just one single class, spiritual creatures. Now, we shouldn't swing the pendulum too far the other way and get the wrong impression that angels are some kind of like a fleet of mindless robots that are clones of each other, that they, they have no personality or something like that, because Scripture tells us that they, they are individuals that have personalities and have names. We learn some of their names. Gabriel, the angel. Michael, the angel. Angels exist in order, like they have ranks among the angels. Angels are curious why do I know that? Why do I say that? Well, 1 Peter tells us, uh, Peter in his first letter tells us in verse 12 that the angels were eagerly waiting. They, they were hard-pressed to find out the plans that God had for his people. They longed to look into the things which the apostles were busy revealing as the Holy Spirit gave them to reveal. That's 1 Peter 1 verse 12. So the angels are personalities with curiosity just like we have it. And God has created a numberless amount of them, at least numberless to us, all at the same time. He's organized them into a highly well-run, ordered society. We read in the Bible of archangels. That word ark means ruler. So there's ruler angels like Michael. 
He's one of the chief rulers. We find mention of cherubim and seraphim. These would then be classes of angels. Paul in Ephesians 1 writes about rule and authority and power and dominion, and that Jesus sits above all of these. So he's describing the classes of heavenly beings. And what's more, angels, they know how to fight. They're warriors, at least some of them, a good number of them. We read in the Bible that there are legions of angels. Well, legion is a military term. And among the Romans, a legion is known to be about 6,000 soldiers. So it seems that at least a portion of God's angels are dedicated as soldiers or warriors in God's heavenly army. God has a heavenly host, we read about. That's an, that's an army. And you can think of the angels and their chariots of fire surrounding the city of Dothan, protecting uh, Elisha, the prophet. You remember that story? How much power do these angels have, you think? Well, we read of one single angel going out from God, killing all the firstborn in Egypt in a single night. Later, we read of another single angel going out to the Assyrian army at night, killing 185,000 soldiers. So there's pretty powerful beings among the angels. And now, says Scripture, all of these angels God has made, they're His messengers, yes, but He's given them a certain charge. I want you, my angelic host, to be on guard. I want you to be on duty. I want you to minister to. I want you to serve my people on the earth so that my people can serve me. That's what the angels are doing. God tells us this. Not that we can... Be overwhelmed and want to worship the angels. Doesn't want us to do that. But also so that we should not ignore the angels and forget about them and don't think about them and pretend they don't exist. No, God wants us to know about them. Why? So that you and I feel even more secure, more confident in the hands of our God. God's hands all by themselves should make us feel secure. But He's telling us, look, aside from my hands, I've got tens of thousands of angels on duty all the time watching over you. You don't have one guardian angel. You've got legions of guardian angels, beloved. Next time, Lord willing, we'll hear about God's ever-present power, His providence, where He upholds all things and guides all things for our benefit. But here already, take this comfort home with you that as much as all the earthly creatures we know are here to assist us, so also are those powerful, powerful beings from heaven, the angels on hand to assist us in our mission. Psalm 91, we sang it a couple of Sundays ago, His hosts of angels God commands forevermore to serve you. They will support you on their hands and from all danger swerve you. God's good angels are at His beck and call to help in time of trouble. This is maybe especially good to have in mind when we are confronted by or think about the bad angels, what um, the Bible calls demons, the evil angels. 
Our confession spends some time on these creatures as well in that second paragraph. Some of these angels have fallen from their exalted position in which God created them into everlasting perdition. I don't use that word too often, but perdition just means the state of being lost. So they've fallen into everlasting damnation. But the confession goes on. Others have, by the grace of God, remained steadfast and continued in their first state. Now we learn this, for example, from the letter of Jude. We read that together, verse 6. There he speaks of angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He's kept in eternal chains. He has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So Jude tells us that some angels rebelled against God, but in truth we know few details about that particular event. When did that happen? What brought it on? What triggered that angelic rebellion? What were the circumstances, we want to ask? Well, in truth, the Bible doesn't really say. We have to be honest about that. Some have tried to read into certain prophecies, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. They have tried to read into there a reference to the fall of the highest angels, including Lucifer. Maybe you know that name, Lucifer. I think there's a TV show running around with that title. It's a popular name in culture for Satan, but it's not found in the Bible, certainly not in English Bibles. It does come from a translation, a Latin translation of Isaiah 14, verse 12, which some have thought to be a symbolic reference to Satan. The name Lucifer just means bright, shining one, bright, shining one. But in Isaiah 14, when you read what's going on there in the context, the reference in verse 12 is clearly a reference to the king of Babylon, not to an angelic being. We simply have to admit that God in Scripture does not tell us the story of the fall of Satan. So we need to be sober about what we know, not get carried away with speculation. Here's what we know from Scripture. We know that God created all creatures. That's a fact. Also, He created the angels. All of His creation was good by the end of day six. We also know that some angels fell away into disobedience and became eternally lost. And we know that the one called Satan was among them. We know that Satan was a leader over the fallen angels. And he has a great deal of power as we read in Revelation 12. He also indeed seems to be puffed up with pride, arrogance. He's pictured in Revelation 12 as a fierce dragon who's identified in verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. It was Satan who was inside the snake in the Garden of Eden, tempting Eve, which means that the fall of Satan and the angels must have taken place after day six, but yet before the creation of Eve. That interim period, we don't know how long it was. The Bible gives us the impression not that long of a period, but somewhere in there, that's when Satan and certain angels fell into disobedience. And that's really 
the bulk of what we know about their origins. And then our confession summarizes what the devil and the demons do. Like, what are they actually up to? We confess together, the devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and of all that is good. With all their might, they lie in wait like murderers to ruin the church and all its members and to destroy everything by their wicked devices. Revelation 12 fills out that picture. Satan has been defeated in heaven. Now he's been cast down to the earth to wage war. That's what he he sets out to do, to wage war against the saints of God, against Christians. His wrath is great. His power is fierce. That's why there's persecution in Turkey and Iran and North Korea and China. That's why he, he puts Christians in jail and stamps out churches in all kinds of places in the world. That's why we're fighting, we're, we're, we're up against the demonic forces in Canada that want to, want, want to push against the Christian faith and push against Christian morality. Just look at all the laws that our government has been making the last 25 years. Those are satanic forces. So we have to understand that the, Satan has a, has a great wrath and he's He's dedicated the rest of his days, which he knows will come to an end. He's dedicated the rest of his life to destroying what he can of God's church. His wrath is great. His power is fierce. He wants us to live in fear of him, Satan does. But you know what our Creator says? Our Creator says, do not live in fear of the devil. Do not be afraid, says Christ over and again in Scripture, for this powerful Satan has also been powerfully defeated beneath Christ. You know that name Satan means accuser. He was given that name because for most of history, that's what he's been doing, accusing God's people for their sins, accusing them before the judgment throne of God in heaven. You know, in the book of Job, we have this picture of the angels coming before God, and and Satan was among the angels. So there was a time when he was regularly appearing before God. Happens again in Zechariah 3. We get a glimpse. And Satan is there, Zechariah 3, accusing God the believers accusing the people of God of of sin, of wrongdoings, and demanding that God pay them for their wrongs, demanding their blood. And Satan had a point. Because God's people were guilty of sin. But God answered Satan's accusation by sending Jesus to the earth to give his blood in order to satisfy our debt. Jesus did give that ransom payment. Jesus gave the sacrifice of perfect obedience plus suffering under God forsakenness so that the accusations of the devil may no longer ring true over God's people. The sins he accuses us of, they have been covered God's people have been cleansed. And so God says, out of my courtroom, Satan. That's what Revelation 12 was telling us. 
Because of my son Jesus, no accusation can stand here against my people. Romans 8. Jesus Christ has destroyed the devil's most powerful weapon. The claim and the accusation that we have wronged God because that wrong has been taken away in the cross of Jesus. So we can no longer claim that before God. And then Michael and the angels turfed out Satan. Revelation 12. We Christians legally, rightfully, and unstoppably have received from God the right to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And the devil can't cancel that. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the great grace we've all received. That's why we don't have to be afraid, you see. Yes, Satan walks this earth with his demons, looking to devour some of God's people. But we need not fear him. Because we know that the Creator is above all and he uses all creatures to the end that man may serve his God. It's God's will that all creatures, good and bad, will in some way work together with man so that we may serve God. Whether that's the evil demons or good angels or animals in some way, shape, or form, the Father uses them by His providential care to help us, to push us, to prod us, to guide us, all in serving the Lord. So brothers and sisters, make sure that your eyes are open to the devil's schemes. We should not be blind. We should not put our head in the sand. The devil is around. Have your eyes opened. But do not let your knees knock in fear. Remember that Satan is not God. He's only a created angel, and he's a fallen angel at that and he's a defeated angel. Even if he took a third of the angels with him in his fall, there are still two-thirds left with God who fight for us. And behind them is Jesus Christ the King, who sits on the throne at his Father's right hand with all authority and power. And behind Jesus is the Father, our Almighty Father, who loves us in Christ with an undying love. You... We've got nothing to fear. What can a mere creature do against that creator? Can an army of devils, can a, a whole legion of Satans overcome the God who can create the world out of nothing? They will fall. The devil his demons, and all who follow him, they will fall beneath God's wrath. But you will not. You and all who belong to Jesus Christ, you will be lifted up in the blood of the Lamb to live with him in glory forever. That's our reality. Nothing can stop that. Amen. Amen.